WHYY and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to talk about five key points from Dave Dombrowski's interview on the WIP morning show here on Wednesday morning. Uh, we'll talk about some of the different things he had to say, a little bit of uh, information about where the team is this offseason, the slow offseason they've had, and why they've had a little bit of a slow offseason. But a couple interesting things, and we'll play just a couple of clips uh, from his news conference. A couple of playoff odds projections are out there. Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus's Pakota playoff odds are out. Some interesting numbers there. We'll dive into those a little bit. And I'm going to talk with Mike Petriello from MLB.com. And, of course, you know him as one of the guys who got StatCast up and running. Uh, We're going to talk to him uh, in just a few minutes about what they've got up on their plate and get his thoughts on the Phillies and the National League. Also, the Phillies made some minor moves on the back end of the 40-man roster. We'll tell you about them coming up in a couple of minutes as well. Lots to get to here on this edition of Hit and Season. And more to get to, you know, as we are starting to get closer to the season. uh, We're starting to get some real news here. And anytime the president of baseball operations, the head honcho, the man in charge, Dave Dombrowski, gets on the radio and has a 25 to 30 minute conversation where he's answering questions from some hosts, you're going to get a few nuggets out of that. I will say, I don't know that there were any huge bits of information that came out of this. There's a lot of reading the tea leaves that you have to do, especially with a guy like Dave Dombrowski, who was candid in this interview. He's just so comfortable in his own skin talking about the team, talking about the things that they did this offseason, some of the things that they wanted to do this offseason. But you do also have to read between the lines a little bit because he knows what he's doing. He knows what to say. He knows what not to say. And maybe you're reading into some things, some breadcrumbs, reading in between some lines. Who knows? I mean, a lot of it could be just a lot of things in our head that we want to be true. But uh, let's just take a look at things uh, that Dave Dombrowski uh, said during the course of this interview here on Wednesday. And I wrote a piece for The Good Fight today about it. Five key points from Dave Dombrowski's interview here on 94WIP. The first thing that really kind of caught my ear was when he was talking about uh, their uh, pursuit of uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the 25-year-old Japanese pitching phenom. Um, Dombrowski just confirming, I think, reports that had already been out there that the team did make an aggressive push to sign him. Yamamoto situation, we're very involved in that. And I think people would be shocked if they found out how much money that we put on the table for him. But really came down to... um, and even though there's a lot of regard for our organization, playing in the city, how we support the club, I mean, the atmosphere at the ballpark is second to none, but he wanted to go to the Dodgers. That was just the way it was. Um, and I don't know that it had as much to do with the presentation of other things that happened in his earlier in his life where he was more of a Dodger fan. And, and I think that's key. I mean, the team was not dead set on holding on to their money this offseason. That, that's not this, that's not what this slow offseason was about. They saw an opportunity for a young starting pitcher who has five to seven more years of his prime left, and those guys don't hit free agency all that often. So they made, according to Dombrowski, they made a real offer for him. It was a big money offer, but again, uh, he decided that he wanted to go home and he wanted to play with his boyhood team, the Dodgers, and probably just as much as anything else wanted to go play with fellow Japanese superstar Shohei Otani. I mean, that will increase his comfort level tremendously 
and going to LA and knowing that he's got a fellow countryman there that he can talk to, that he can hang with. And along with the Brinks truck that the Dodgers threw at him, that also had to be a relief as well. So, uh, but it is still interesting, just confirmation that the Phillies really did make an aggressive push to go after Yamamoto. Uh, the second big thing was that Johan Rojas is likely going to be your starting outfielder. Um, it sounds as though, it sounded as though at the start of the offseason that the Phillies weren't really sure if Johan Rojas was going to be their starting outfielder. They were just coming off a brutal loss in the NLCS. That was still fresh on everybody's mind. He really struggled in the playoffs at the dish. He had a couple of big catches defensively. But over the intervening months, it appears as though his hold on the starting center field spot is growing more secure, as confirmed by Dombrowski. I'm not saying he's going to come up and hit 300 with 20 home runs right off the bat, but I think he can do enough offensively and contribute from an offensive perspective. And when you add his speed in there um, and then his defense, all of a sudden um, he becomes a, a real plus for us. So. Yes, I do think that he will be up, but he has to earn that. We're not going to just give it to him. And as part of the Johan Rojas discussions, it was it also was factored into why they decided not to re-sign Reese Hoskins, why they wanted to take Kyle Schwarber out of left field. Uh, one of the things Dombrowski talked about was Schwarber's knees just aren't holding up well enough for him to play 120 games a season in the outfield. They just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't play out there anymore, and so they had to get him into the DH spot. And that essentially meant Reese Hoskins had to had to leave town. And so rather than put Harper in left field or something like that. So you're talking about you have this opening in left field now. You have in Johan Rojas, a guy who we know can play defense at an elite level in the big leagues. The only question is whether or not he has the bat to go along with it. And, you know, this is going to be a thing that's closely watched this spring. Uh, Dombrowski talked a lot about some of the some of the work that he's been doing, as you just heard on that clip a second ago. And the third takeaway that I had from this, the third key point, it goes along with Johan Rojas. It's that they are going to prioritize playing time for some of their young players. And Dombrowski is one of those guys who I think recognizes that you can't have young guys at every single position. I mean, you can't have old guys at every single position. You can't have big money free agents at every at every place on the diamond. You, you do have to supplement with some younger players. And Johan Rojas is one of them. Uh, Orion Kirkering is another guy that they mentioned. Uh, number five starter Christopher Sanchez is a guy that they also mentioned. They wanted to make sure that any free agents that they went out and that they got this offseason weren't going to block those guys necessarily. Now, you know, I, I will, you know, and Dabrowski said, I can't tell you that if somebody doesn't fall in your lap at some point, you say, gee, that's an opportunity you can't turn down. Uh, he said in the outfield, what ends up happening is there's some people, if you try to sign them, he's talking about prospective free agents, they'll say, well, we want to be your left fielder. We want to be your center fielder. And Dabrowski said, well, right now, giving Rojas the opportunity, those things, those are things we just can't do. But he also did say, we look every single day and you just can't tell what will end up happening. So there's some of the comments that he's making, leaving the door open. And again, I take this to mean if Cody Bellinger is available on a one-year deal or something, or like a three-year deal with an opt-out after the first year, where if it goes really well, he's going he's gonna to opt out and he's going to go someplace else. The Phillies then might be interested in doing something like that. And they might say with Johan Rojas, okay, let's just punt this for a year. We talked about this on the last episode of the podcast. But as a fan base, we have long called for the Phillies to get better at developing homegrown players. 
to sustain the team and keep the window of contention open longer. We marvel at how they did that with Chase Utley and Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins and Cole Hamels and how they gave playing time to a young Jason Wirth and Shane Victorino. Those were guys not necessarily all homegrown, but all were young and were developed by the Phillies. That's what we need. And the Phillies have done that a little bit with Bryson Stott, for sure. Uh, Alec Bohm has also developed into a decent Major League third baseman. And the hope is that things continue in that direction with a very talented player in Rojas, with a very talented relief pitcher, a guy who could be a potential closer one day in Kirkering, and a guy in Chris Sanchez who was maybe their second best pitcher throughout the entire second half of last season. He could, he could develop this year and grow just as Ranger Suarez has grown in, in the last couple of years. And that would be a very exciting uh, uh, possibility. And that's why you're not seeing them go out and, and sign guys like uh, Jacob Junis to be starters in their, in their rotation. Because they, they want Christopher Sanchez to be that guy. And you're paying Taiwan Walker a lot of money. I know a lot of us were annoyed at Taiwan Walker last year. It seemed like he was just really inconsistent. He won 15 games but had a very high ERA. Again, pitcher wins don't really matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, you know, certainly the Phillies have some young guys that they, that they really do want to devote some attention to. They want to be able to develop some of these young players at the big league level. That's important to them. So... Uh, one of the other things, um, talking about uh, whether or not uh, this was a quiet offseason, he, of course, admitted that this was a quiet offseason. I'll play a little bit of that audio for you here. Well, I think overall that assessment is accurate. I mean, quiet doesn't mean inactive. I mean, we've been active on many different things as far as staying abreast of what's going on. But yeah, it's been quiet. And it did sound like the Phillies had some interest in a couple of the free agent relievers who were signed elsewhere. Uh, Dombrowski mentioned one of them was offered a starting job, so he's either talking about Jordan Hicks or Jacob Junis there. And uh, he mentioned one of them wanted to stay on the West Coast, and that's likely Robert Stevenson. So sometimes those kinds of things just happen. You, you can make a play for certain guys, but, you know, also, not being able to sign depth pitchers because those guys want to land someplace where they can actually get a job in the starting rotation. Again, we've talked about it on the podcast too. So there are some there are some headwinds that went on here uh, that the Phillies really couldn't uh, the Phillies really couldn't make work because they just don't have the they don't have the space available uh, for these guys at the moment. All right, uh, my fourth key point was that Andrew Painter. It's confirmed we'll be out for 2024. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to folks. Dombrowski was asked about the progress of Painter. He's still one of the best young right-handed pitching prospects in the sport as he recovers from Tommy John surgery last year. He said, Painter's rehab is going fine. He's just tossing at this point, which is where he should be. I don't really look for Andrew to pitch this year. I'm looking towards 2025. He also did say, I guess you can always be surprised, but I don't want to put that pressure on him. And... The Phillies, rightfully, are not going to push a kid who still has not turned 21. He will in a couple of weeks. A guy who still has not turned 21 to push himself too far. Now, for some reason, I was on Twitter as this was happening, and a lot of fans were reacting angrily to the, th to the thought that Andrew Painter would not be pitching here in 2024. This was known, guys. This was not a surprise. Now, I will say you could, you know, a lot of fans have an issue with the fact that he waited so long to have the surgery last year. Remember, Painter hurt his elbow after his first spring training appearance. And then the Phillies and Painter decided to wait three months to see if rest and rehab would fix the elbow. Had he gotten the surgery right away, 
it's possible he could appear in he could have appeared in some minor league games at some point here in 2024. But the doctor, the player, the agent, and the team all thought it best not to rush the then 19-year-old into surgery, which I think is a totally defensible position. Now, the rest in the rehab didn't work, and it delayed the surgery until late July. But once he got hurt, and once he had that surgery, there was really never a possibility that Painter was going to pitch for the Phillies this season, the big league club. Never going to happen. So he will start the 2025 season, and he'll likely start it in the minors to build up his arm again, to build up his strength. But remember, this would have been his age 21 season. He'll be about 22 years old when he's ready to get on the mound in, a, in an official capacity. So I saw some people saying that this was handled incompetently. This was not handled incompetently. They were cautious, and maybe they were too cautious for your, ta- for your tastes, but they were cautious for a reason. And there is just no reason to be upset about the Painter timeline here, guys. They do not need him in the starting rotation this season. They've got a starting five. They have other options. Would you like to have seen him under perfect circumstances? Absolutely. But exercising care and caution with this kid is the best approach. My fifth big key point from Dave Dombrowski's interview, no word on extensions. Uh, Talking about Zach Wheeler, uh, of course, who can be a free agent after the season. Dombrowski said that they would love to sign Zach today if they could. He said, I think it's important we re-sign him. I think he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I know Wheels loves it in Philadelphia. Guys, that's that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this on the last episode of the podcast, but Matt Gelb noted in an article last month in The Athletic that the team actually needs to wait until the spring in order for the extension not to count against their 2024 luxury tax numbers. Uh, He noted that um, by waiting until the spring, a potential new contract would not have luxury tax ramifications in 2024. So they may already have something kind of lined up, but they can't officially, they can't make it official for another few weeks or so. As for Bryce Harper, who it was reported would like another five years tacked on to the eight remaining years of his initial 13-year contract. So yeah, that's kind of a uh, don't call us, we'll call you type scenario. And and really, Harper, again, here for another eight years, not going anywhere. Now, a couple other things that Dabrowski also talked about uh, on the Aaron Nola signing, thought it was interesting that he said he was very worried about Nola potentially going to the Atlanta Braves. Um, He admitted that he gave Nola more years and more money than they'd ideally like to, but that that's the price you pay when a player hits free agency. Uh, He also said he thinks that Nola will age very well. He's got a lot of miles on that arm. I hope he's I hope he's right. Also talking about the National League Championship Series, he said something that I think we've all been thinking, and that's that the Diamondbacks deserve a lot of credit for changing their approach to the Phillies hitters in that series. Uh, Dombrowski said, they adjusted and we chased a lot of balls out of the strike zone. Uh, and that, of course, is is plain, plainly obvious, plainly obvious, and painfully obvious to anybody who watched that NLCS unfold. So that's what Dave Dombrowski had to say on 94WIP. I think the largest takeaway from me is that he's happy with the team the way it is. They want to focus on young players like Rojas. They want to get those guys in the mix, and uh, they don't want to have a team full of free agents coming from other places. They know that a good team needs to have some of their own young homegrown players performing well. And that's why you haven't seen the Phillies make a lot of moves here so far this offseason. He also did note that a lot of teams haven't made many moves here so far this offseason. But it did sound to me that he's not ruling anything out. 
which is good, which is smart, which is something that a good veteran executive always does. So you can't close the book, but I think that at the same time, it's not likely that the Phillies are going to do anything of substance or consequence here in these last few weeks before uh, the start of spring training. All right, one other thing before we get to Mike Petriello. I always enjoy it when the playoff odds projections come out, especially with Fangraphs and Pakoda. Uh, both of those uh, both of those projections were out. They're pretty they're pretty similar in terms of what they see for the Phillies. Uh, they have Fangraphs has the Phillies win total at 85 and a half. That's third most in the National League. Pakoda has the Phillies at 85.0 wins, so half a win less, but he has St. Louis and Arizona winning slightly more games. Uh, they have, not he. They have Arizona and St. Louis winning slightly more games than the Phillies so far this uh, in 2024. Uh, according to Fangraph's playoff odds, they have the Phillies at 59 and a half. Pakoda has the Phillies at 56.6, so a little bit less. And then Fangraph's odds to win the division, they have the Phillies at 7.4%. Pakoda is at 4.5%. So Fangraph's a little bit higher on the Phillies than Pakoda. Looking at some of the other teams in the National League, it's pretty clear that the projection systems love the Braves and they love the Dodgers. So in terms of the Braves, Fangraphs has them projected at 98.2 wins. Pakoda has them at 100.3. Now, Pakoda loves the Dodgers more than the Braves. They have uh, him. They have the Dodgers at 101.9. Um, the Fangraphs has uh, the Dodgers at 94.5. So uh, the uh, Fangraphs has the Braves about three and a half wins better than the Dodgers, whereas Pakoda has the Dodgers a little less than a win better than the Braves. But it's pretty clear that uh, the Braves and the Dodgers in some order are the number one and number two in the National League. And uh, there's a big gap between them and the Phillies at number three. And then according to Fangraphs, you know, the Phillies are pretty comfortably in front there. Uh, but Pakoda has the Phillies behind, again, St. Louis and Arizona, but not by a whole lot. Uh, Fangraphs has the Mets at 81.3 wins this year. Pakoda likes the Mets a little bit more, having them with a winning record at 83.3 wins, so two wins better. The Marlins are at 81.3 wins in Fangraphs. Pakoda has them at 80.2. Really a bizarre offseason here for the Marlins so far. You really thought they would build off of that surprise playoff appearance last year, and uh, and they are just not doing it. They they really aren't. They're just, they're just not doing that. Um Looking at the Fangraphs write-up for uh, the National League East and for the Braves and the Phillies, essentially they say no one else is realistically playing for first in the NL East other than the Braves. And they say that's not because the Phillies are awful. They just think the, that uh, they're more likely than not to make the playoffs thanks to a top 10 offense, but they're just not the equal of Atlanta, at least in the regular season. They said, you can tell that the Braves agree their offseason was built around addressing their lack of dominant postseason pitching which I guess they're talking about Chris Sale. Um, the Fangraphs write-up also mentioned that uh, the Marlins-Mets face-off in the middle of the, the division could get very interesting with both of those teams expected to be around 500. So uh, interesting stuff there from Fangraphs and Pakoda. Uh, always interesting to see what they're going to, what their computer models are saying about the Phils and the rest of the National League and the National League East in particular. 
Well, there are a few people better to talk to. Let me amend that. No one better to talk to about Major League Baseball than my next guest, Mike Petriello from MLB.com. And, of course, you know him as one of the gurus, uh, the the head honcho uh, with all of the StatCast stuff. And, uh, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello, good friend of the podcast. Mike, welcome back to Hitting Season. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I appreciate the straight-up lie you just said about no one better to talk about baseball, but I, I appreciate it. I will accept it, and thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I actually, I do mean that because, you know, when we talk, you know, I like to get a 20,000-foot view of the Phillies from people outside of our little bubble, and I feel like you're a person I can come to to kind of give us a, a straight a straight shot on, on what it is we're looking at with this baseball team. And uh, in Philadelphia, everybody is talking a lot about the fact the Phillies haven't done much a whole lot this offseason other than re-signing Aaron Nola to a free agent contract. Dave Dombrowski was on WIP's uh, morning show uh, on Wednesday morning, and he essentially said, yeah, it's been kind of a slow offseason. Uh, we like our team a lot, and that's the main reason why. Do you get why the Phillies have kind of done what they've done, or I guess to a larger extent, not done what they've not done so far this offseason? I get it. I mean, I certainly understand everybody's desire to do more, right? It's funny. I think in in two ways, they have maybe hurt themselves perception-wise and not baseball-wise, number one, by signing Nola so quickly, because that Mm -hmm. was like two weeks into the offseason or whatever. That was months ago, right? So it's not like here's the (laughs) big splash around Christmas time or now. It's right. This was months ago. The second thing, and I have to preface this by saying, I just disagree with this so strongly with people. Uh, It seems like a lot of people don't count him because he was already on the team last year. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you sign like the same contract and you give it to Blake Snell, I know that's new and that's exciting. We've improved. And it's like, well, Aaron Nola was not on the team on the 2024 roster for a couple of weeks. You spent 170 something million dollars on a top level starting pitcher. Uh, the best, in my opinion, outside of maybe Yamamoto, depending on what he does. That counts. Like, I, I know he was there, but it, it counts and it doesn't count less just because he was on the team before. And I know that's not how people perceive it. It's right. like a huge offseason pet peeve of mine. Yeah, it's the whole running it back. Oh, they're just running it back here in, in 2024. Well, it was a pretty good thing they had going there in 2023 at the end. And just because those uh, those last couple of games didn't go the way anybody wanted them to go, it doesn't mean the team is any less of a World Series contender. I, I think what really is concerning Phillies fans is you've seen what the Dodgers have done, right? You've seen what the Braves have done. Both have gotten better, and they were already better than the Phillies in terms of overall roster the ability to win over a 162 game season. You look at some of the projections that have come out this week. I know Fangraphs has theirs. Pakoda has theirs. Uh, I talked about it a little bit on the podcast before you came on. The, the Braves and Dodgers are head and shoulders above everybody else in the National League and maybe even in baseball at this point. So I think there's a little bit of we need to do more to catch those guys. Is there anything the Phillies could have done this offseason, realistically speaking, to catch the Braves or the Dodgers? I think we're maybe miscalculating that a little bit. The word realistic is doing a lot of work there, right? Because yeah. like, you could go out and say, well, spend $2 billion and, you know, sign Blake Snell as a middle reliever just as a treat, right? Mm-hmm, like right. those are things that aren't going to happen. I don't think you can compare them to the Dodgers because you're comparing them to maybe the best offseason any team has ever had. I mean, that is a singular winter. And I know they tried for Yamamoto and, you know, a lot of other teams did. But no, I think that's unfair to say, well, our offseason wasn't as good as the Dodgers. Well, that's true of pretty much every team that's ever mm-hmm. existed at any point in history. So don't even worry about that. I'm not sure the Braves have had a great offseason, necessarily. I think the Braves are a better team. I think mm-hmm. the Braves are a better roster. But I have they had a great offseason? Like, the Chris Sale trade was interesting. They've made a lot of 
weird sort of edge moves that may or may not matter. You know, the Jerry yeah. Kelnick trade, like, sure, why not? Um, they reinforced the bullpen, so mm-hmm. that's fine. I'm not sure, you know, unless you were going to go out and say, okay, we're going to bring back Noah and we're going to sign Blake Snell and mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, get some really great outfield depth kind of guy and trade Nicholas Castellanos. Like these things yeah. are probably not all going to happen. So I, I will say that I think the Phillies are not as good as the Braves. But when I look at the National League, to me, there's three pretty clearly good teams, right? The Dodgers, the Braves, and I include the Phillies there. I know the mm-hmm. projections may not, but they're better to me than the Diamondbacks. They're better to me than you know the Marlins and, and Mets and I don't think we need to even talk about the National League Central like there's a <laughs> there's a big three and of mm-hmm. that big three there's a big two is I guess the way I look at it yeah it's it's an, it's an interesting tier that's set up right now in the National League like you've clearly got the two top dogs and then you've got the Phillies and then you're right I agree with you I think there's a I think there's a gap between them and and other teams that could be contenders in the National League and obviously the season will play out and there's still some time in the offseason for things to, for things to happen uh but I, I you know the offseason as a whole has been slow too it's not just the Phillies that haven't done a whole lot and I agree with you about the Braves the Braves haven't done uh outside of Chris Sale I think that helps them if he's healthy in a playoff series maybe but you know outside of that I mean and that's a big question mark as well do you also see with the Braves I I look at that lineup and what they did last year and now everybody in that lineup had a career year and I don't think that you can expect that Braves offense to to be as good as they were last year and that was really what drove that that high win total and made everybody so afraid of them was you had everybody in that lineup hitting 20 or more home runs you look throughout the the starting nine eight of them had an OPS plus over 100 most of them well over 100 I just wonder do you feel like there might be a little regression there with the Braves offense this year Boy, that's a good question. Every fiber of my being, like the the analyst who has done this for a long time, says yes. Like that, absolutely. They just slugged over five hundred. Nobody ever does that. Yes. Dot dot dot. And then I look at it individually, and I'm struggling a little bit to find <laughs> the guys that are going to get worse. Maybe Marcelo Zuna, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, he's older. He had a, a much better year than I thought. But it's like, did Matt Olson had a really good year? It's not that wildly out of line with stuff we've seen from him before. Ozzy Albies had an Albies kind of year. I feel like we're learning that Austin Riley is just going to keep having yeah. these years indefinitely. Like mm-hmm. we just did the top 10 at each position for MLB network. And I, I ranked him number two behind um, Jose Ramirez. And it wasn't yeah. by a lot. Like I yeah. think he's a superstar. And then Michael Harris, I believe in Michael Harris. And the big guy here is of course Acuna. And you look mm. at him and you say, well, come on, he can't possibly have another year like that. And I just wrote about this the other day. He might have another year like that, because yeah. if you look at all the underlying metrics, right, and the three guys I'll use as examples are him, Betts, and Bellinger, right? So yeah. Mookie Betts basically got what was expected. No good luck, no poor luck, not even really luck necessarily, but you know, expected outcomes. Bellinger, as we all know, probably overperformed what was yeah. expected. Well, Acuna sort of underperformed. He set the single season record for hitting barrels and outs. So barrels are the stack cast term for, you know, perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. Those should be the highest value batted balls. And he hit into more of those for outs than anyone wow. has ever had. So it's like, am I going to sit here and say, yes, he's going to slug 600 again and still 70 bases again? No, but he's so talented and so young. I'd really have a hard time selling you that. I think he's taking a big step back. Yeah, I, I wonder they got so much production out of the catcher from Sean Murphy in the first half of the season and that kind of that kind of frittered away. And Orlando Arcia was so good for them so much of the season. Can he repeat that performance in, in 2024? And I and Matt Olson, again, you're right, big power bat. He's gonna hit a lot of home runs. Will he hit more than fifty? 
You know, that number might come down a little bit, too. So, again, the Braves are great. I'm not trying to sit here and tell people the Braves are due for a letdown in 2024. I'm not thinking that in any way, shape, or form. But just that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be necessarily penciling them in to have the same kind of offensive season that they had uh, a year ago. Just as a whole, I was getting into this question a second ago, and I wanted to double back on the Braves. The whole market is slow. And most teams aren't signing a lot of guys to big money contracts. And there's still a couple of big name guys that are still out there. I I think the Phillies are being used a little bit in some of these negotiations in the public, linking them to, you know, hey, they could come, they they could surprise if Jordan Montgomery is still out there, if Cody Bellinger is still out there. And of course, you've mentioned Blake Snell. He's still looking for a home. Why do you think it is? Is there a reason that you think that some of these guys are, are still waiting for a deal? Do each have their own individual case, I guess, or is there something larger at work here? I think I would point to three things. Um, Number one, it's hard to ignore that they are almost all, or maybe all Scott Boris clients. And obviously, Boris is well known for waiting. Uh, It's neither a good thing or a bad thing. He's Mm -hmm. probably, he probably should be the first agent in the Hall of Fame. Like he's the best at what he's done. That's his strategy. That's fine, but that's what he does. And that's fine. Um, The second thing is that all of those players, uh, I guess I would put it this way, right? The guys who signed early in the offseason, not that no player is flawless, obviously, right? But Aaron Nola was highly desired and he signed real fast. Mm-hmm. Everybody threw money at Yamamoto and everybody was going to throw money at Otani, even though he was injured. And the guys who have been out there for this long, there's there's some question marks about all of them, right? I know Blake Snell has won two Cy Youngs. He's also basically had two good full seasons, which is kind of yeah. hard to bet on long term. Yeah. You know, Cody Bellinger, of course, had the rough years with the Dodgers and the batted ball metrics. Don't love him. Matt Chapman didn't actually hit that well last year, despite yeah. the fact he hit the ball hard. And then I like Jordan Montgomery, and I was actually surprised when I looked this up the other day. I didn't realize how old he was. He's already into his 30s, and I guess in my head I thought he was younger, and he's not. And very good pitcher in the playoffs, but he's never been that dominating guy. And I don't mean to demean any of them. They're all very good players who will help teams win, and they should all get big contracts. But this isn't like Aaron Judge last year, where you're right. like, yeah, he's Aaron Judge. Like, I'm, This isn't like Juan Soto next year. Uh, this isn't like when Bryce Harper was a free agent where you're like, these guys, nobody is guaranteed, nobody's perfect, but I've got high confidence that these guys will perform for me if I give them big contracts. And I don't know that these guys fit into that necessarily. I have concerns about all of them. And then the last thing I would say, and I know this is super unpopular because nobody listening to your show cares even a little bit about the bottom lines of billionaires. And I totally get that. <laughs> it is sort, sort of hard to like blow past the RSN thing, right? Like the industry yeah. is in a state of upheaval for a lot of teams. They don't know if they're going to be on, I mean, they're going to be on TV, but they don't know where exactly. They don't know what the budget's going to be. I don't think you can ignore that as a factor for like half the sport, you know? And so that at least has to be said, I think. Yeah. And that's, that's something we don't think about in Philadelphia because Comcast Sportsnet would, would owned the Phillies for a little while. NBC Sports Philadelphia now is certainly is not doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, but there are a lot of teams that don't know which regional sports network is going to pick them up, where they're going to be playing and stuff like that. And so much of baseball revenue is dominated by these local cable deals like in cables dying, you know. So here, you know, we'll see exactly how how that affects the sport here in the in the next few uh years. And I guess you're right, that is kind of factoring in here. Looking at it from a Phillies perspective, let's just say that Jordan the, the market never comes together for Jordan Montgomery and it never comes together for Cody Bellinger. And these are the two guys that I think the 
uh, maybe Scott Boris is the one trying to do it, trying to get the Phillies use the use the big pockets there to get teams to to get in the act a little bit here. If they do end up still being on the market like another three weeks from now, month from now, kind of like when the Phillies signed Nick Castellanos in mid March uh, ahead of the 2022 season, which of those two guys do you think would be most beneficial? to the Phillies for what they need. Because Montgomery would slot in really nicely in that starting rotation, but they already have five guys. Whereas Cody Bellinger could play the outfield. Uh, they like Johan Rojas. They're really talking him up a lot. But you could slide him into left field, and it would make for a pretty dynamic offense, and he's a decent glove in a corner outfield spot as it is. At least that's kind of what you're anticipating, certainly more than what you would get from like Kyle Schwarber, who is never going to play the outfield again. I think if I had to pick, well, I'm going to give you an answer with a caveat, right? I will say right. Montgomery. And the reason for that is I agree with you. They have five starters. I'm not entirely sure how much I trust the back end. I guess mm-hmm. that would be what Taiwan Walker and Christopher yeah. Sanchez to yep. make 30 starts a piece. Right. And then obviously, uh, as you know, better than I do, you've got the trio of young talented starters behind them, but you're not going to see painter. Right. Mm-hmm. Who knows what you're going to get from Abel and McGarry. And I would say the starting depth behind that five is it's okay, but it's not great so you yeah. can slot in montgomery right away whereas the caveat i mentioned is if i if you give me bellinger yes i could just put him in center field and that's fine i gotta trade schwarber or Castellanos, right that's that's where you get i think maybe more of the impact because one of the things i like about bellinger the most is that he plays all those spots right but mm. if you've got schwarber at dh then harper's playing first and yep. that means bellinger's not playing first and now you're just basically making him a center fielder, which is which is fine. I just don't necessarily trust him that much. And that takes away some of that value to me. So on this team, I, I think I would go for the pitcher. Can Bellinger play corner? Can he play left field? He has a little bit. I, listen, I'm he's a great athlete. If he can play a very good center, I'm sure he'd be fine in a corner. But I don't think he's had a ton of experience there. That was the only that, that's why I was thinking that he might fit, because you're right. I think if they have Marsh and you have Bellinger, I think the preference would probably to play Marsh in center field and have Bellinger in left. Although maybe I'm not right about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I would still love to just give Rojas a couple months. That glove is so special. Can he hit? I I, I hope he hits a little (laughs) bit. Maybe, maybe not, you know, but the glove seems like it's, it's top of the line. Elite, yeah. elite and maybe i'm just jaded um not as much as you perhaps as watching <laughs> kyle schwarber and castellanos in the outfield the last couple of years but yeah to see a guy like that playing every day i just love to see him get the chance well i i mentioned this too in an interview i did with whyy the pbs station in philadelphia uh, and i was talking about it's really easy to add a guy and to see like a power guy who's going to hit you a two-run home run very easy to see this guy put two runs on the board right for a guy like Rojas, who can play all over the outfield, he can take, he can prevent runs, but you can't really see that, right? I mean, it's, it's harder for a fan. It's harder for a layperson. It's even harder for somebody like me who's been following this game for a while. We can see they make a great play, but because the run doesn't score, you don't actually see a lot of times the run prevention aspect of having a guy like Rojas, a plus plus glove defender out there in center field. And so I think a lot of times that affects what we think is more valuable as a fan. Mostly true. I think he's so special out there that you might actually be able to get yeah. a, a better sense of it just because <laughs> he makes everything look so easy and he's everywhere. I I agree with you, right? If he's hitting 210, most people won't actually care about how special the glove is, even if it right. makes up for it. Well, Mike, I know you got to run. Is there anything you want to mention uh, before we let you go? Anything you're working on? 
Oh, we're always working on a lot of stuff. This year is going to be the year of uh, bat tracking at StackCast. Mm-hmm. So you can actually measure bat speed and impact point and all kinds of stuff like that. So we got a ton of interesting things we're working on, and I'm excited to roll those out as the season gets going. Yeah, the StackCast stuff is really fun. Just grown so much since it first got started. So some exciting stuff there. Follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello gang. Mike, thanks for coming back on Hitting Season. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, John. Take care. All right, to wrap things up, we'll just uh, keep you informed of a few minor moves at the back end of the 40-man roster the Phillies have made here on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, The Phillies claimed right-handed pitcher Max Castillo off waivers from the Red Sox. Uh, To make room on the 40-man, the Phillies have designated Simone Muziati for assignment. Castillo is 24 years old. He appeared in seven games for the Royals last season, had a 4.43 ERA. Uh, But you're going to notice a trend here for the Phillies. They are getting rid of uh, some relief pitchers that had no options left. In in other words, guys that could not be sent back down to the minors. And they're bringing in more pitchers, starting pitchers, relief pitchers, who do have options so that the Phillies have some flexibility. They can send some guys down and bring some guys up. Uh, Castillo is a starter. So, again, he had a 4.43 ERA in seven games for Kansas City last year. He would be a depth starter for the Phillies if there was an injury. He's a guy that you could bring up from Lehigh Valley, uh, and you could uh, have him make a few starts here and there. Uh, Now, the Phillies also acquired a relief pitcher named Michael Rucker, a right-hander from the Chicago Cubs, in exchange for cash considerations. So it's a trade that they made with Chicago. Uh, The Phillies have designated Andrew Bellotti for assignment in order to make room for Rucker. Now, Rucker and Bellotti are essentially, stats-wise, the same pitcher. Rucker is 30 years old. He has 96 career games out of the bullpen for the Cubs. Last year, he had a 4.91 ERA in 40 and a third innings pitched. Uh, He pitched 54 and two-thirds innings the year before and had a 3.95 ERA. He is essentially the very definition of a league average relief pitcher, especially in terms of strikeouts, walks, and ground ball rate. He is... Just a guy. But again, we were saying that about Jeff Hoffman at this time last year. So maybe some, maybe they can work out some magic with Rucker. But the whole reason they did this was because Bilotti was out of minor league options. So they would not have been able to move Bilotti back and forth between the big league club and AAA. Now, if Bilotti clears waivers, he can go back to Lehigh Valley, and then the Phillies could move him back and forth. Uh, but with Rucker, they can do that very easily right now, uh, so that he may not start with the team breaking camp. He may. If he does, he can always be sent down. They just ha- It gives you more flexibility with the roster, having Rucker on the 40-man roster as opposed to Andrew Bellotti. Uh, finally, the Phillies also claimed infielder, outfielder Diego Castillo off waivers from the Yankees. They designated him for assignment a week ago. He's 26. He spent last year with the Diamondbacks, but uh, he has been on a number of teams already here, even just in the two months of 2024, but really a month and seven days. Uh, He's already been claimed by the Mets and the Yankees and the Phillies. Um, He's a good on-base guy, has a little bit of speed. He only played one major league game uh, last year for Arizona, but in AAA, he made, he accumulated 556 plate appearances, uh, had a 17.4% walk rate. So he he does have a good eye at the plate. Only struck out 14% of the time. So uh, that's a that's those are good numbers. Those are good peripherals. Only three home runs in 556 plate appearances, but did hit 313 with a 431 on base percentage. So that's pretty good. A uh, weighted runs created plus of 117 in the Pacific Coast League. 
Uh, he stole 13 bases, and he can play in uh, in, in uh, second, third, and short. He can also play left field, so he's got some versatility. Uh, he's a guy that uh, you will probably see at the big league level this year. Um, he does have options as well. So again, another guy that they can move up and down throughout the uh, throughout the organization as they need to. So these are some of the the moves that guys like Jason Stark and Todd Zalecki and Matt Gelb have been talking about these minor moves at the back of the 40-man roster to give the team more flexibility in spring training and at the start of the, during the course of the season, because you need to be able to move guys up and down the Northeast extension, right? To get guys to and from Lehigh Valley so that you can have them be with the team for a few days and then send them back. They just, the Phillies had a few guys that didn't give them that flexibility, swap some of those dudes out. And that's what the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski have been focusing on here over these last few days. Wouldn't be surprised to see another move or two like that shake out uh, during the course of these next few days. But uh, we will wait and see whether or not they do something small or, you know, maybe on the off chance of big fish is out there. Uh, there's still time left here in the offseason for something like that to happen. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks to Mike Petriello for coming on the podcast uh, once again. And, folks, just a reminder, I want to send you over to our BillyPen.com landing page for Hit and Season. It's at BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season. I'll also send you over to our Hit and Season Patreon, where we got lots of good stuff going on over there, some bonus podcasts like The Dirty Inning and Absolutely Hammered. Uh, that's at Patreon.com slash Hit and Season. And you can read all my stuff over at thegoodfight.com and at billypen.com slash hit and season as well. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.